Well, good afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk is the program for the Christian layman. You know, that's the Lutheran who believes but has questions. And in short, that program is designed for someone just like me. There's a lot I don't understand. Not necessarily soul-shaking things. It might just be something that's been bugging me for a while. And I find that rather than getting into a deep theological discussion, sometimes a casual front porch style talk with a pastor is the best way to understanding. That's what this program's all about. Now, today's guest, not only is a pastor, but an old friend of mine, Craig D'Onofrio. And he's the pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Cleveland, Ohio. I have my questions. I'm sure you have yours. You can send the questions by email at any time to let's talk at kfuo.org or call during the program at area code 314-821-0850 in the St. Louis area. Now that includes Metro East. Or you can call toll free anywhere, anytime North America, 1-800-730-2727. D'Onofrio, come in. Hey, Kip, how are you? Hey, I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, good. Good. So what again? Uh, you know, my uh, my pastor was your old roommate at seminary, uh, Pastor Wayne Lawrence. That's the one. Yes, and I, he's such and, a great guy. He, he is, and in fact, he is going to be uh, my guest on uh, Let's Talk next Saturday, next Friday. I mean, actually, we were just classmates. Oh, okay. He, he, he was married and had kids by the time he showed up. Oh. <laughs> so you have uh, resettled. Tell us a little bit. Tell me a little bit about your new uh, parish. Well, I'm at St. James Lutheran Church in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I never knew anything about Ohio before I received this call. So, so we showed up, not really knowing what to expect, and the folks here have been fantastic. They've been so loving and kind, and uh, the church is uh, healthy size. And uh, we're in the middle, well, we're toward the end of VBS right now, Vacation Bible School. And uh, we are all exhausted. (laughs) I bet you are. (laughs) I have uh, services tomorrow and Sunday, but after that, I think I'm going to just sleep for a day or two. Well, you know, uh, you just told me, and I saw this picture, when you first arrived, you you, you have a little bit of an eye condition sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. And your your eye, I saw this on Facebook, was just completely red. I mean, you looked like you were possessed. Not not red in the way of bloodshot eyes, but red as in a, a big ball of blood with a pupil in the middle. Yeah, just as uh, <laughs> we, Craig's not here anymore. <laughs> so. Yeah, I've I've had uh, eye surgeries, and I have to use steroid drops, and it weakens the blood vessels in my eyes. So every now and then, I have this little blowout. And uh, it looks horrible. Yeah, it, I did. It, it barely hurts at all, but it just scares the heck out of the children, which is great. <laughs> I bet it did. I, mean, I can just imagine the first time Paula ever saw that happen. Yeah, she she well, even this last time, she kind of took a couple steps steps back and, and, uh, and <laughs> Are you sure you're not possessed? <laughs> horrified by the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I was at vacation Bible school the other day and I, I was flipping through my pictures on my notebook computer and I came across that one night couple junior high kids there, boys, and I said, hey, you want to see something gross? <laughs> and, of course, junior <laughs> high boys are like, oh, yeah, we do. And, uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun also. <laughs> see, you've got a connection here with these kids. Yeah. <laughs> right. the you know, Craig, so one thing I wanted to talk to you about, uh, when you and I first met, uh, and we were talking, uh, I, I found out that you were a convert to Lutheranism. 
Yeah. And you subsequently become a pastor. So obviously something took. <laughs> and I, I asked see. you what it was that convinced you. And you said, as I recall, you said that you'd read the, the book of confessions and couldn't refute it. Yeah. I, uh, well, I grew up in Southern California megachurches and uh, one in particular, they, they're the people who invented praise music, uh, Maranatha music out of Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa. And so I grew up in the 70s with the Jesus people wearing my flip-flops to church and all that kind of stuff. And uh, the whole theology seemed to revolve around the rapture, these end-time stuff. And so you'd read the Bible with the newspaper in one hand and your Bible in the other, and you'd use the Bible to interpret the newspaper and the newspaper to interpret the Bible. And, uh, of course, it was just mayhem, and nothing ever made sense. And uh, but we were told you need to be holy or you're going to be left behind. And I got into my 20s and the harder I tried, the the more sinful I became. Uh, you know, I just I couldn't live the righteous requirements of the law, no matter how hard I tried. And uh, through a series of circumstances, wink, wink, God always has his way. Uh, I ended up at a Lutheran college to finish college for my last two years. And these Lutherans had this book of Concord. And at this point, I had pretty much given up on Christianity because I said, I can't do it. And I kind of came to this place where I realized or believed that God hated me. And um, they had this book of Concord. And so I set forth for about two, two and a half years to prove these Lutherans crazy. After all, they didn't even believe in the rapture. So, you know, they couldn't be right. And uh, after two and a half years, I realized I had whatever Pastor Chuck was making up, and they had the Word of God on their side. So I became, uh, even as C.S. Lewis talks about being a reluctant convert, I, I understand, and I, uh, I have a little empathy with old C.S. on his <laughs> reluctant, uh, being a reluctant convert. So uh, I figured if you can't beat him, you may as well join him. <laughs> Well, you know, I think that's basically what it, I, I know I was born into the Lutheran Church, so, you know, I, did, I didn't have the con great conversion, but I do remember uh, back in the Seminex days, uh, mm. I uh, I played around a little, back at the, back in those days, they called themselves Elim, Evangelical Lutherans in Mission, that later morphed into Elka, and I did uh, attend a few services there, and there was a lot that was attractive about it. Sure. A lot of energy. Yeah, a lot of energy and a lot of, hey, you know, all these things that you thought that were bad, but they really aren't that kind of thing. <laughs> and the one thing that I kept that I could not simply get around was that they were ignoring Scripture. Mm -hmm. You either believe it or you don't. Right. And uh, that's, what, that's what kept me with the LCMS. Yeah, in, in the evangelical churches, they have a very high view of Scripture. So they, they, they do, the Bible is the Word of God. It's, it's even more literally the Word of God than what you and I would confess as Lutherans. Uh, because they, a lot of them don't understand that there are parts of the Bible that are written as poetry. Uh, or, uh, you know, like uh, the book of Revelation, where John has a vision and you can't take all of the vision of John in a literal sense. John's trying to explain these heavenly things in earthly terms that are beyond our comprehension. And uh, so, you know, giant locusts, seven-headed beasts coming out of the sea and all this, you know, 
it's really, really beyond our comprehension is what it really comes down to. And so the, the irritating thing is I grew up in this world of very, very literal Bible reading, except when it came to things like the Lord's Supper. When Jesus says, this is my body and this is my blood, clearly he's speaking figuratively there. And, and so, you know, there's a schizophrenia that occurs in this. Uh, when I became a Lutheran and I started reading all these verses on baptism, I said, well, how come, how did I miss this for so long? Uh, or, you know, the clear words of the text in the Lord's Supper. How did I miss this? It's so clear. And the reason is we are all indoctrinated into whatever faith we grew up in. And there's a, a twist on everything. And, and unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, depending on where you come from, it's either a good twist or a bad twist. And uh, you growing up in the LCMS, well, you 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 kind of grew up in a hinky time also there with that Seminex and everything. So that that had to be pretty darn interesting also. <laughs> well, it was my mother uh, was was n flatly convinced that not only that not only that God existed, but that God was indeed a, a Missouri Synod Lutheran. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no yes. doubt in her mind whatsoever. <laughs> and, well, <laughs> and I'm sure that she's correcting God's theology now up in heaven. <laughs> uh... Yeah, I, I don't know what, but I'm sure that once we get to heaven, even as the LCMS and our Book of Concord and everything else, there are probably a few things where uh, we'll need to repent along the way when we get there. But don't ask me what that is right now, because I don't know yet. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know when we're there. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things that really... That really uh, attracts me about Lutheranism uh, is it doesn't deny our sinful nature. No. And this is something that so many other faiths do. You know, well, I'm really a good person. Well, no, you're not. You know, <laughs> we're all bad people. It, it's simply a matter of degree, and even that doesn't really much matter, not as far as God is concerned. That's really the heart of my conversion right there, uh. what you're talking about. Um when I understood, you know, we say in the Latin, simul justus et, et peccator, or peccator, depending on how you want to pronounce it. But uh, when I understood that we are saints and sinners at the same time, mm. uh, that really changed my whole worldview. Be because in the evangelical Christianity that I grew up in, you were a saint or a sinner. And so every time that you would commit a sin, you were a backslider, and you had to recommit your life to Christ and start all over, kind of like an AA 12-step program. <laughs> and so, oh, fell off the wagon again, and so you need to reinvite Jesus in your heart, and this time do it more sincerely, because you obviously didn't do it sincerely enough last time. And this cycle that goes on until you either deceive yourself into believing that you're doing it, or you just despair altogether. You're right on that, and... and this is the the thing you know where i i was even mentioned it last week uh you know i can go up to the communion rail i can partake in the lord's supper i know that my sins are forgiven and by the time i get back to the my pew i've sinned again right you know, it's but i know that i'm forgiven for it you know and, and that god understands you know i think that's the thing that really really got to me uh craig i know that you uh you and i talked about how uh i lost a wife to uh, illness some years back and uh i spoke to my pastor shortly before her death out there and it was be mm. because i was i was at my wit's end i was emotionally spiritually bankrupt mm. 
And one of the things that that really got to me uh, was the anger I was feeling at her. Mm. And this, in turn, bounced back to me. He said, my God, what kind of a horrible person am I? You know, <laughs> And the thing that my pastor had had made me see was that not only was I forgiven for that, but God understood why I felt that way. Yes. And that yes. was so important. It wasn't just this blind forgiveness. There was this, I suddenly realized that God understood. Yeah. Uh you know, I would rather that you were hot or cold, but lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. The opposite, I'm convinced the opposite of love isn't hate, it's apathy. Mm. And and when you come to a place where you don't care about someone at all, if they live or die or whatever, that's that's the opposite of love. But God is okay with you struggling with him and even raging against him and yelling, I hate you from time to time. <laughs> Uh, much more than the I don't give a rip and I don't even think twice about you. Um, hate you can do something with. And so even in our, our relationships with each other, uh, you know, people who are married oftentimes will, will have a knockdown, drag out, screaming match and, and say unfortunate things. But at least there's still a passion involved in all of this. <laughs> Instead of this, uh, you know, when, when someone stops feeling for you altogether, it's it's hard to deal with that. There's not much you can do. I can see that. You know, I can see yeah. where, where a husband and wife might be fighting, but they're fighting because they're trying to bring the other person over to a point of view or whatever. They care. Yes. Yeah, but right. if the reaction is whatever. Yeah. Then that means so, it, it's dead. Yeah, as Christians... You know, when we start feeling that way, that uh, those people can go, they're dead to me, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. Mm. Uh, that's a time where we really need to consider where our hearts are, and we really need to consider repentance in a in a much more serious way. It is, and uh, oh boy, you know, there's so much to to unpack in that, and and what it means to be a Lutheran, and why we're there. Uh, yeah. And I'm sure that we all, we, we question. I, I know I went through a period where I questioned it. I never I never went to the point of totally rejecting everything. But I did hit a point where I questioned. And to an extent, I still do. You know, it's like I said in the, in the intro of this program. There's a lot I just don't understand. Welcome to the club, my friend. One <laughs> <laughs> uh, of the beautiful things about being a Lutheran is... Uh, you know, we have so much paradox in our faith, things that seem like they, they can't be in existence with each other. And, and you know, we, we struggle with these things. Uh, Jesus is 100% man and 100% God at the same time. That's being 200% of something. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> that can't work. Uh, but we just kind of sit and we stew in it, we simmer in it, and and we even sometimes revel in the fact that God is so much greater than us. He doesn't have to make sense to me, and yet he's still God, and what he says is still true. And so, you know, we come to that place where we understand we are so finite, and God is so infinite, and uh, we, we're, we're in a place where it's okay for us to struggle with things, to, to doubt and to say, well, that can't be right, and, and to study and to come back around, you know, and, and to submit ourselves and our logic and our reason to the Word of God. And to confess something to be true, even though we can't wrap our heads around it. Things like the Trinity. 
I yeah. can't I can't tell you how the Trinity is the Trinity, but we confess Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Three unique and distinct persons, and yet one God. Yeah. And how does that work? I'll I'll tell you when we get to heaven. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I know that uh, a, a lot of Muslims, for example, consider Christianity actually polytheistic. Yeah. Because they, they cannot conceive of the concept of the triune God. So do Jews. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, they they look at what we say, and it doesn't make sense. And they're right. It doesn't. Uh, by, by our fallen rational minds and our, our fallen sense of reason, uh, it doesn't make any sense. And so uh, they say, well, that can't be right. And they reject it out of hand without understanding. But, you know, in Islam, there are an awful lot of mysterious things also that they accept. And uh, but that's different because that's in the Quran. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's just like I said, it, it really comes down to the indoctrination that you grew up with. A lot of times just affects your worldview so much that uh, it, it it leaves you vulnerable to all sorts of mayhem. It, it does. It does. But uh, the idea is t that we don't have to understand. Right. And in fact, we can't understand. Uh, I, I was talking to uh, Will Whedon, uh, who, you know, he's the uh, host for Thy Strong Word and is the uh, head of worship here at the LCMS. And uh, I said to him, why is it, Will, that the older I get, the less I understand? And Will said, it's because you're getting smart. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> the more I know, the less I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sometimes I but, wish I, I knew everything I knew when I was 20, you know. <laughs> well, you, you come to that place where you realize how little you actually know. And, you know, like like you said, you know, in your 20s, you think you know it all. Uh, I think most of us, are, our parents were blithering idiots until <laughs> we hit our 20s. And all of a sudden, they were geniuses. And I can't imagine how they managed to get so smart so fast. Uh, but maybe we just kind of grew up a little bit and realized they might know something. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things that we know, and as you pointed out, is that we are simultaneously sinners and saints. And this is, a, you know, this is one of those things that's actually becoming contentious, even within our church body. Um, there's there's a, a push afoot to kind of uh, downplay that that simultaneous nature a bit. And uh, it gives me a lot of pause because I think what it really comes down to, Kip, is there are people who have had the kind of experiences that I've had in life growing up, fearing for your salvation every night of your life when you go to bed, uh, you know, e even weeping and saying, if I die tonight, I'm sure I'll go to hell because I can't be righteous enough. I can't do this. I'm trying. I'm trying. But God won't give me the ability to be righteous enough. And you come to that breaking point and then when you come into the glorious light of the gospel that that we proclaim this law and gospel preaching and and that grace is a done deal in christ and i don't contribute to it and it no matter how rotten and nasty i am jesus still died for me and with people of a tender conscience who have known that kind of background uh, even as Luther did in a very big way. Oh, yeah. Sometimes a little dose of the law is all that it takes to drive us to our knees. And yet you have people who have grown up from the day that they were born told there's nothing you can do. You are saved. You are safe in Christ and your baptism. You are 
set free. You you need not fear death and the devil or and hell and damnation, and it is all done for you in Christ. And a lot of times, people who have grown up in that, I, I like to say it's those who have grown up in the promised land, and they look out into the wilderness and they say, gosh, you know, the, the desert sure is pretty this time of year. <laughs> and those, those of us who have wandered for 40 years and it said, oh, uh, no, I'm never going back to that. There's no way. <laughs> and, and so you, you have, unfortunately, some Lutheran pastors who are looking more and more into law preaching uh, in a way where it's law, gospel, law, and it, and it really is is kind of scary to me because it's kind of what I was coming from. I, I grew up hearing these sermons of Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Now here's what you have to do in order to be saved, and and it kind of seems that that's coming back around in some ways, even even in the LCMS, and and it's a, a scary trend to me. And I, I probably just made a few uh, pastoral uh, adversaries by saying that, but. It's something that is a deep, deep concern. Well, one thing I have heard uh, from pastors about the things that are happening in the parishioners is occasionally the parishioner will come up to him and say, why are you always talking about sin? I don't come to church to hear what a bad person I am. Hmm. And that, to me, is very, very disturbing. Yeah, you do know, need to know yes. so you can repent. Yes. And and thank you for saying that, because I don't want to make it sound like I don't preach the law. Uh, mm. I, I try to make sure that my parishioners know every week that they deserve hell and damnation, that there there's, you know, nothing good about them apart from Christ. Uh, but that is that that false security that we can have also is is I don't want to hear about it. I had when I was serving in California, I had a, a couple of parishioners leave. Uh, because they were they they didn't think that a pastor should tell their parishioners that he's a sinner just like they are and he needs a savior even more than they do and uh, that whole Saint Paul chief of sinners thing you know that that's mm. not good for our pastor and so they wanted to go to a place where the pastor didn't sin. <laughs> good and, luck. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they they came back about a year later and said, "Boy, it really stinks out there." But they were too proud to come back. So, yeah. well, well, there's a story about the uh, the pastor was talking to one of the evangelical pastors, and the guy's talking. You know, I haven't sinned in the last eighteen years, and the Lutheran pastor says, "Boy, it's too bad you just blew it with the sin of pride." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I remember when I was first becoming a Lutheran. Uh, and I was listening to uh, one of these evangelical pastors on the radio, and, and he actually said, I've become so sanctified mm. that I can't remember the last time that I sinned. I almost drove off the road when I heard this. Oh, boy. But I was thinking about it, and I don't remember the last time that I sinned either because I do it without thinking. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Like I said, you're walking back from the communion reel. I'll yeah. sin before I even reach my, my pew. I know Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Oh, it's a mentality I just don't understand. I, it, no. it, it's, maybe it's uh, being maybe it's because I'm the youngest. I'm the youngest in my family. You know, maybe they always say the you know the, the older ones can get away with murder, not the younger ones. You know. Oh, I don't know. I'm the baby, and I think I got away with a lot more than my older brothers did. So. Oh, <laughs> you and I definitely. Well, your family was Italian. Mine's German. They're different. Yeah. Yeah. Well. <laughs> you know? the, the, that is true. I, I think I was in trouble a lot more because uh, my parents learned all the tricks with the first two, so I came along. <laughs> the way of things. Yeah. Uh, but it's... 
the, the older I get, the the more thankful I am that I'm Lutheran. I mean, I look at the, the different faiths, obviously. You know, I mean, through my job, I have to do that. But, I mean, with just to the people I know, uh, I have a lot of Jewish friends. Uh, my late wife was Episcopalian. My current wife is Catholic. You know, so I can look at the different faiths and say, you yeah, this, no, it doesn't work that way. I, or, you I know, a, there's always that voice in the back of my mind that says, uh-uh, or yeah. <laughs> I had a Jewish friend at a cigar Bible study that I used to go to in California. Cigar Bible every, study? Every Tuesday night at this big cigar lounge, about 35 guys would get together. All right. And they were from all, all walks. There were a few of us Lutherans there, but mostly from Rick Warren's church, Saddleback Community. And there was this Jewish guy that would attend and everything, and he kept kosher and everything else. And uh, I remember saying to him, I am just way too lazy to be a good Jew. I, 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 really, I really need a savior who did everything for me because I can't do all that. I, I, I would be a terrible Jew uh, to try to keep kosher and everything else. But, uh, you know, it, it's important also, Kip, that when we talk about Lutheranism, that we don't give the false impression that we're going to be the only ones. In oh, heaven. yeah. You, oh, that is so important. You know, and, and in the LCMS, we tend, and I'm guilty of this. I, I do this, you know, even in my congregation, some people were concerned that I believe that that LCMS Lutherans would be the only ones in heaven. And, you know, this isn't true. The The historic test for Christianity has always been the Trinity itself. And uh, you know, in the most basic ways, like the Apostles' Creed, if you can confess that. And so we have what we call felicitous inconsistency, that there are Christians out there who are inconsistent with their faith. And uh, they will certainly be in glory with us, those who have faith in Christ Jesus, and uh, understand him as the second person of the Holy Trinity and his finished work, even if they think that they made a decision to, to invite Jesus into their hearts. And they don't understand that you couldn't do that unless you were first given faith to believe in the first place, and mm -hmm. therefore you were already saved. And you don't have to um, invite him into your heart. He's already there. <laughs> well, but they think that they did, you know, yeah. after he's already got his feet up on the coffee table. And uh, so, you know, even though they might have these wrong ideas, uh, they too will be in, in glory with us. Uh, but like I always say, they have kind of an impoverished faith in a lot of ways. And I believe that uh, being a Lutheran is, is kind of like riding into the kingdom of God in the back of a limo. And, uh, <laughs> That's great. You, know, you kind of get the first-class treatment uh, with this confidence and the assurance of faith outside of ourselves uh, through gifts that come to us, you know, like holy baptism and, and God's promise to a little weak old baby who does nothing but cry and protest and, and carry on, uh, God still makes this promise of eternal life and this adoption into his family. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we have this solid confidence that we can look at, something tangible that God does for us in the sacraments. Uh, you know, he doesn't leave our senses untried and untested. He, he, he fulfills all of our senses because he knows that we're physical human beings, that we were created both physically and spiritually and so he gives us that rock solid assurance by letting us taste and touch and smell and see and hear that the lord is good and that his salvation is for us and uh what a what a comforting and wonderful thing that is well craig i gotta take a little break here at the bottom of the hour 
and we will do it, and we'll be right back. we got a lot more to talk about, believe me. Friday on Issues Etc., we'll talk with Joy Pullman about a new survey on government preschools. We'll have Dr. Andy Bartelt lead us in a teaching on the prophet Ezekiel, and we'll discuss monastic vows and ecclesiastical authority with Pastor Paul McCain. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. A long-standing tradition here at Worldwide KFUO is to broadcast live worship services for those unable to attend worship or for those who benefit from hearing God's Word online or on KFUO. This Sunday, our 8.15 a.m. worship comes from Ascension Lutheran Church in St. Louis, Missouri, where Reverend Matthew Clark presides as senior pastor. Our 10.30 worship comes from Our Savior Lutheran Church in Fenton, Missouri, where Reverend Mark Sell presides as senior pastor. Commercial with us on Sunday mornings on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. Zika is still a threat, and its effect on an unborn child can be devastating. So we're taking our doctor's advice on how to protect our unborn baby from Zika birth defects. Let's keep stopping Zika. Visit cdc.gov slash prevent Zika. Mosquitoes can spread Zika, so wear insect repellent, long sleeve shirts, and long pants. Dump standing water and use window screens or AC. I'm not taking a chance with Zika. Let's keep stopping Zika. Visit cdc.gov slash prevent Zika. This message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Given, it's a word we seem to hear less in our world today. We believe the Word of God as it teaches Christ is given for you. That's what we at KFUO bring you, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Find the Give Now button at kfuo.org to support this mission, kfuo.org, or call 1-800-844-0524 to make your gift today. We choose to go to the moon. On July 20, 1969, lunar module pilot Buzz Aldrin landed the first human beings on the surface of the moon, returning to Earth on July 24th. Right before Buzz Aldrin and Commander Neil Armstrong took their now famous One Small Step for Man, Buzz Aldrin chose to commemorate the moment by taking communion. Before stepping down the ladder onto the moon's surface, Aldrin signaled Houston for a few moments of silence for each person listening to give thanks in his own individual way. Before taking communion, Aldrin silently read a passage from the Bible that he'd written on a piece of paper from John 15:5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit, for you can do nothing without me. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Well, welcome back to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. My guest pastor today is Craig D'Onofrio from St. James Lutheran Church in Cleveland, Ohio. 
Join in the conversation. You can call us at area code 314-821-0850 in the St. Louis area or anywhere toll-free in North America at 1-800-730-2727. So, the nature of sin, the nature of redemption, the nature of everything. And that's that's part part of the, the, the thing about being a Lutheran is we're okay with with the concept of mystery. Right. And we, um, we were touching on that a little bit. Yeah, we were. And you know, and, and another thing, uh the the people who believe that they need to do good works or that their good works will somehow get them into heaven, how do they explain an infant then? A child can't do good works. Well, in in a lot of these churches i would say the vast majority of protestant churches um they they believe in an age of accountability where once you reach a certain age you are then accountable for your sin and now you are open to hell and damnation so you find the this infant dedication not a baptism but a dedication and they point to this in the Bible. The problem is in the Bible that that dedication was only for the firstborn male of every family. You would bring that child to the temple or the synagogue and give the child back to God. And then God would give the child to you to raise for him. And so that was the tradition there. So so the idea of having your little girls uh, dedicated and everything else, that's not really a biblical thing. Um, but they they reject the idea of infant baptism but they go that route of an age of accountability therefore babies who die automatically go to heaven i am pro-life because i believe psalm 51 5 david says for my very conception was i sinful Mm -hmm. and i believe that every child needs jesus christ Uh, from the moment that we are conceived we need a savior and so that's probably the biggest reason that I'm pro-life, as I understand this is a human being who needs a savior. Uh, and so I've asked my evangelical friends, you believe in an age of accountability? Oh yeah, sure, sure, yeah. Uh, are you pro-life? Yeah, yeah, sure. Of course I am. Well, why are you pro-life? Well, because murder is a sin. Okay, good. Wouldn't it be more merciful just to kill the babies and send them all to heaven than to let them grow up and go to hell? And of course, that's when you start to see the smoke come out of their ears because all of a sudden, <laughs> wait a minute, that makes too much logical sense. Uh, <laughs> maybe I should rethink this whole age of accountability thing. But of course, uh, that's when they just get angry with you. But that's that's a whole other story. Mm-hmm. But this this age of accountability is fictional. You know, I've done radio for, uh, gosh, since 1993. You do the math. I, I don't know how Oh, good heavens. You, you're recent to it. I, I started in 19... Actually, I did my first gig in 1970. Yes, I know. I'm still wet behind. Nerny, nerny, nerny. I was six years old when you started radio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I've always had a $1,000 offer on the table for anyone who could show me an age of accountability in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And uh, the closest that they get is, well, you'll be accountable for what you know, kind of. uh, There are a couple of verses that indicate something like that. But there's no age of accountability because we are all accountable for our sin from the moment of our conception. Well, let me ask you a question as a pastor, uh, because this is something that's been in in my mind for a long time. I understand 
I'm saved through grace. Yes. But I also have this vision that when I first approach God, he's going to ask me some questions about my life. Yes. And uh, how do I answer that? Does, does that jibe with, with our theology? Since I'm already saved, but still, I, I still have this feeling that, you know, God is going to look at me and say, okay, why did you do X, Y, and Z? The simple answer? Yeah. You point to Jesus and say, I'm with him. <laughs> you just kind of leave it there. Uh, but the the actual answer beyond that is what you learn going into the military as an officer and probably a grunt also is no excuse, sir. I, I have no excuse. I have nothing to plead except guilty. And that's when the verdict comes down. You're not guilty. Mm. Um, I recently wrote an article that talks about how uh, those who are least deserving of the gift are the ones who receive it rightly. Because those of us who come to the Lord's table, those of us who know that we bring nothing uh, but sin and a mess to the party, uh, and all we bring is destruction, are those who are welcome to the table and those who are, are, are declared, you are worthy to partake of my supper. You are worthy to partake of this feast. Uh, because you understand that you are sinful and that you need a savior. You know, scripture tells us again and again that uh, Jesus didn't come for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. Mm. He, he didn't come for the those who are well, but for the sick. And so those of us who know that uh, we are worthless in God's sight apart from Christ are those who receive that grace with uh as Luther says, as empty-handed beggars. And we are so grateful for receiving that gift. Without the gift, there's no hope. None at all. Mm. None at all. Ooh, we're getting into heavy stuff here. <laughs> okay, now I want to bring up another issue here, really heavy. In fact, yes, I've, I've argued this one with your pal, Bill Swirla. Oh, Bill. Okay, now... When Lutherans cross themselves, do they do it from left to right or right to left? No. What, what did he say? He said left to right. It's got to be left to right. But I happen to have in my hand, yea, even as we speak, whoops, sorry about that, got to put my glasses on, uh, is a copy of Lutheranism 101. Yes. And on page 232, under the subheading, The Possession of the Christian. It shows specifically how to make the sign of the, of the cross in a diagram. And it shows right to left. Well, we all know that Bill Swirla has been suspect for many, <laughs> many years. <laughs> well, that's true. That's and true. Therefore, I'm going to have to go with Christianity 101 just simply based on the characters involved. Uh you know, of course, I didn't grow up crossing myself at all. That was just Roman Catholic. Mm, that's true. Uh, but, uh, Kip, I, I don't think that this is something that we should break fellowship over. Uh, <laughs> right to left or left to right. I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking that Jesus doesn't really care which direction you go. <laughs> 
But I think that it is a good practice to make the sign of the cross. It's a reminder of our baptism. Oh, yeah. And it's a reminder of God's grace for us. And and so it's appropriate to make it many different times, you know, when we pray. Uh, but, you know, we see the movies, and, and you have that Roman Catholic guy who's always crossing himself when the ghost comes out or, you know, the werewolves are running or whatever. <laughs> And uh, it's actually a good practice. If you're scared, remind yourself, I am baptized. I am a child of Christ, and death and the devil no longer have any hold on me. And uh, so when you're afraid, feel free to be that guy. You know, the guy in the movies. You know which one I'm talking about. There's a number of them. You know, knock yourself out. Make the sign of the cross to remind yourself that uh, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If the werewolf gets me, I get to go to heaven. And uh, it's not bad. So that's all good. But uh, right to left, left to right. It, it's a lot like uh, on those Sundays where the altar guild forgets to change the colors. Uh. And church is about to start. You're two minutes out. And the lady comes running in. And she's sweating because, oh, my goodness, Pastor, we didn't put out the red pyramids. It's supposed to be red today. And, of course, my response is I either Jesus is going to be very angry over this. And I say it tongue in cheek. <laughs> or... <laughs> I don't think that he really cares that much, but uh, it's sure. good practice to uh, to try to do things in good order. So, you know, in the, in the future, if we can change the colors, that's great. And if you if you manage to uh, not get the right colors out again, we'll we'll just deal with it. And uh, so I look out and I make sure that I have the right colors stole on, depending on what's out that week. <laughs> of course, Bill will tell you you're wrong. <laughs> Well, you'll have to listen to that God Whispers podcast to get the real skinny on that. There, yeah. there was a shameless plug for, for our podcast. I always enjoy having Bill on the program. He's, I can never tell how he's going to answer questions, but he's, he's going to come I'll up with a good you, one. I'll tell you honestly, and I say this to the man's face, the thing that irritates me the most about him is he will tell you that he's the smartest man in the room, and he's almost always right. Oh, isn't that, isn't that annoying? <laughs> I used to be a member of a beer club out in California, a group called the uh, Maltos Falcons. And there was one member of the club who would always come up with, with his latest homebrew. And would say, you know, this is going to be the best example of this particular variety of beer you've ever had. And the heck of it is, he was right. <laughs> God, I hated yeah. that. <laughs> this, is, this is one of the other reasons I don't really fit in the Missouri Synod. Is the vast majority of our pastors are firstborn sons, and they they have this Northern European heritage. And uh, here I am, Italian and Irish, so I don't. I, for one, ethnically, I, I'm completely an outsider. I don't belong here. And for two, I'm the youngest son, so I don't have this overborn sense of responsibility for everyone and everything. And uh, so it, it's always fun to hang out with uh, with the likes of my friends who are who are of that. Uh, I have to bust the curve in the class ilk or, uh, you know, or my my existence is in the question. And me, I, I'm kind of the uh, hey, B is better than most. So I, I'm pretty happy with the 3.0 GPA, you know, kind of guy. But uh, <laughs> may, maybe I don't do myself a great service by letting that cat out of the bag. I don't know. <laughs> there are always those who do it. I mean, I, I, my brother, for example, my brother won the National Merit Scholarship. You actually have to be in the top 1% just to take the bloody thing. Wow. He he won it. Won a full four-year uh, full four scholarship. He he decided he blew it. 
<laughs> he decided he didn't have to go to class. That's another story. Fraternities <laughs> can do that to you. No, actually, he was a, he was a GDI. Oh, wow! Yeah, he, he didn't. He, he was a, a, a non-spoken for individual. That that's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah, no, yeah. I was the frat rat. Yeah, I know you were. Yeah, Troublemaker. I was. I was. Kind of guys. That's why it took me so long to graduate. You know, I, for, for one thing, I kept changing my, my major. And then finally, at one point, the uh, school said, you know, we think it'd be a really good idea if you took a year off. Oh, <laughs> so, that's a little rough. Well, it was. But, you know, in retrospect, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. Well, failure is, is certainly a good thing uh, in many ways. It builds character. Well, you know what it did? Uh, I had no idea what I was going to do with my life here. I was 20 years old, just completely lost. You know, what am I going to do? You know, I, I was an English major for a while. I remember my uh, my uh, counselor taking me aside and telling me that I had two choices on suicide, on, uh, on graduation. One was teaching, the other was suicide. <laughs> Neither one of which appealed to me. Uh, but uh, I wound up taking a job that year. At the Barnes Hospital emergency room, I was an admitting clerk. I was the guy. This is before they had all the computer stuff. I mean, this is. I was the guy who say yeah, I ask you all the stupid questions and type out the forms mm-hmm. before they do anything for you. And I can't tell you how much I hated that job. And after about a year and a half of doing that job. I still didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life, but boy, did I know what I didn't want to do with my life. <laughs> it's not that. Uh-uh. And yeah. so well, I went back to college, and I, with a vengeance, actually made the good list for a change instead of the bad list. <laughs> so. yeah, well, you're, you're talking to a guy who dropped out of high school to be a rock star. Oh, so, what happened? Uh, it didn't work. Yeah, I, I didn't go back to college until I was about 22 years old. But mm. like you, I had made those mistakes, and uh, after that, I was a pretty, pretty darn decent student and uh, took it pretty serious and managed to do okay. And uh, yeah, but uh, before that, I, I think I would have probably cratered on a, on a first try in college or something like that yeah. very easily. Well, you know, one of the discussions uh, we had on this program that we've had in, in the past is how bad things can off, or, or bad events and bad people, things like that, can off, often have res- good results. Yes. And uh, one of the ways God works in the in the left-hand kingdom. It's and, true. You know, as a pastor, you, you end up in a position where uh, perhaps you have a congregation or you end up in some sort of parachurch kind of situation or something, and you have this really, really bad experience. And then when you come to a church, like like what I've walked into here at, at St. James in Cleveland, first thing is, you know, Luther had a hard time with James and uh, the book of James. And he said, one of these days, I'm going to start my stove with that darn thing. But then he came to peace with it after a while. He came to understand that James is talking about righteousness before man, and Paul's talking about righteousness before God. Uh, so one of the first things that I did is I said, which James is this? Is this James the Apostle or James the brother of Jesus? And so it was James the Apostle. So I was safe there. So that that was the first thing that was really important. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, walking into a situation like this, I don't think I would have appreciated these people nearly as much as I do. Uh, and I don't think that I would love them near, nearly as much as I do had I not had some rough experiences in the past. And so the Lord sometimes will take this bad stuff 
And if we will learn from our mistakes and, and learn from these experiences, uh, sometimes he puts us in a place where we can appreciate what he gives us all the more and with much more relish and abundance. And uh, so what, what you're saying is so true that uh, I've learned from errors that I've made and, and also from uh, being maltreated from some other people mm-hmm. uh, that uh, the Lord is good and he has gifts for us in the most unexpected places. Cleveland, Ohio, uh, I, I've never even been here before. I got this call and I came out to visit and it's a it's a delightful city, even though it's lost half its population since the 1970s, and the Cuyahoga River doesn't burn anymore like it did in <laughs> 1970 or something like that. Yeah, but, uh, it's actually a wonderful place. Uh, they have the second largest theater district behind New York City, Cleveland. Who knew? Hmm. Uh, they've got the Indians. You know, the Browns are so bad at football that you can get in a Browns game for less than a cup of beer, the price of a cup of beer. And uh, I said, this is wonderful. I can go see some great, great football teams play for dirt cheap. Of course, not the Browns, but some other teams will be playing, and and I can get to see them play. So that's nice. (laughs) But uh, the Lord has has been so good to us and uh, blessed Paul and me so much by by coming here. And um, I think that if you will look back and look at those times in your life where things have been really hard a lot of times you'll see that the lord was preparing the road for something better i think that's that's true i mean it, it the bad times are are what help us to really appreciate the good ones yeah and uh, you know, we, we both had some some really bad things happen in our lives yeah and yeah but you know looking back it's it's sometimes for the best yeah. and uh, so you you learn you move forward and, i remember uh, you know one of the that. one of the first really bad things that happened to me <clears throat> uh, i was in a, a very serious motorcycle accident Ooh. i guess when i was 19 and uh not to put a twist on it but i should have been killed to this day i don't understand why i lived and actually came through with very minor injuries. God knows how. But I think somewhere deep in, deep inside, I mean, it, it, this, was, this was one of these things where I, you know, the kids, the difference between a man and a boy is the boy knows he's immortal. The man knows he's going to die. <laughs> right. And right. I remember thinking just before the, the accident, literally the second before, you know, there's not a doubt in my mind I was going to die. That's mm. it. I'm going. I'm dead. I'm out of here. And um, that was the point where I started to grow up. And it was also the point where I, I, I somehow began to believe God has got a plan for me. Because mm. I shouldn't be alive. I don't know what the plan is. Maybe it's working here at the Senate. Maybe I haven't done it yet. Maybe it's something I've already done and don't realize but I still think, you know, there's no reason I should have lived through that. The reach that you have being on the radio and and talking about the gospel and having those on who talk about the gospel, mm. uh, you are able to do things for the kingdom that you will never understand in this lifetime. But trust that God is using you and yeah. that he's doing it. 
And uh, that's one of the other beautiful things about being a Lutheran is God does everything. I don't have to close the deal. I don't have to try to get you on a, you know, commitment on your conversion right now. You know, you just simply plant the seeds of the gospel and you trust that God's going to have his way in the end. And uh, you, you just simply speak the truth and you move along life. And uh, on down the road, sometimes you get contacted by someone and says, you, you made such an impact on my life. And, mm. and you look back, you go, I did? <laughs> you know, what? <laughs> Isn't that strange? I, there was a, a, a woman I knew, uh, oh gosh, years ago, back when I worked in Alabama. She'd been an intern in uh, the radio station I was working at. And uh, I didn't, didn't even think about her. And, and I ran into her several years later. And she ran up to me and threw her arms around me and said, oh, thank you. You're the one who got me started on this career path. I was. <laughs> <laughs> I kid you not. <laughs> of course, you know, broadcasting be what it was. It may not have been such a good thing. But <laughs> well, you know, broadcasting, the pace stinks, but the hours are long. That's true. <laughs> If you're in this business, you're a white-collar migrant worker. You know, I, I, I counted up the number of stations I've been working at in my career. This is number 15. Wow. 15. Well, that's not bad compared to some. Well, actually, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> there are those poor fools who have been the same station their whole career, you know. <laughs> yeah, that, that's one of the most, you know, encouraging things as a pastor and someone, someone comes to you and says, "I wouldn't be a Christian if if you weren't there for me." Oh yeah, that's got to be really what you know. I <laughs> I was, I, I didn't even know it. You know, I, yeah, I I showed up just because I, that's what I do. But uh, you know, it, you never know what the Lord's going to do. Well, you know, and, and I remember you once telling me that the only thing you really want out of life is to be able to preach the gospel. Well, I, I hope that that's what I'll be remembered for. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe maybe someone will look back and say, he was that guy who had a terrible sense of humor and told me about Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's amazing how God works like that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've, I've done a lot in my career, and I always really wanted to be, you know, radio journalism, that was the thing that I really wanted to do. And, you know, we had a running joke. Uh, when when I was first in, in broadcasting, was that well? You can always become a religious broadcaster in Sweetwater, Texas. You know? <laughs> that was that was always that was the purgatory to go to. And I've worked for some pretty good sh stations, some pretty big big outfits. And I've got some professional uh, accolades along the way. But you know, in so many ways, I regard this as the pinnacle of my career because hmm. I am still in radio, still doing what I love, talking on the mic. But I am doing it for a purpose. Yeah, I never really had a purpose ever and over and above the ego that I would get from doing it. Yeah. Now I'm doing doing it for for a reason. That's um, so fulfilling when you understand that there's that there's a higher purpose behind what you're doing. Mm. Craig, I'm afraid we have run out of time. Well, it is what it is, my friend. It is, and we're going to be doing it again. I'm putting you on warning. Uh oh. Uh oh. Okay. Know. We'll have anything left to talk about. Oh, we'll have plenty to talk about. Trust me, that's what this show is <laughs> all about. Okay. <laughs> Give my best to Paula, will you? 
Will do. God bless you, my friend. And then, then to you. You've been listening to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. Today's guest pastor was Craig D'Onofrio of St. James Lutheran Church in Cleveland, Ohio. I want to give special thanks to Pastor Emeritus Fritz Bowie for letting us use his recording of the whole glory, laud, and honor as a theme song for Let's Talk. The pastor is in. Pastor Bowie's music and books are available at Amazon.com. I'm host Kip Allen. Wish you God's blessings. listening to The Pastor Is In, a weekly chance to chat with a pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting The Pastor Is In on Worldwide KFUO.